If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello and welcome to the Addicts Anonymous podcast. I am your host, Jim R. And today we're doing a little different type of an interview because we've typically been interviewing recovering addicts of their story of addiction and recovery. And today we're going to see it from a parent's point of view. So we have Carrie on the line. Hey, Carrie, how are you? I'm good, Jim. Thanks for having me. So let's just kind of get into it. So I know you're going to be speaking a lot about your son, Johnny, and his addiction and his battle he's going through right now. I know he's currently going through it. So I guess first tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh, so I'm a mom. I have, I have two sons, uh, Johnny and his younger brother. Uh, I also have a grandson. Johnny blessed me with a grandson at a very young age, uh, full-time working, and both my sons live with me, and my grandson comes every other weekend. So kind of the uh, glue for the family at this point. Yeah, so um, when... So I guess let's kind of skip ahead to Johnny a little bit. When was the first time that you noticed he was having problems? Uh, I would say, you know, he moved out of the house with his girlfriend when he had his son at about 18. Uh, I would say about 20, I started noticing, you know, he never had his rent money. I, I started noticing, you know, his, his girlfriend would call me up and say, you know, Frankie, uh, Johnny didn't come home. And, uh, you know, she would just kind of share with me a little bit of her concerns. And that's when it, it kind of became a red flag for me, probably around when he was 20. Around when he was 20. So let's actually yeah. um, rewind a little bit. Tell us about Johnny as a kid. What kind of kid was he? He was very attached to me. Uh, he was very uh, indecisive. He, he was afraid to make a decision that he didn't think would be favorable. So to give you an example, he would stand in front of my cupboard and I'd have like four different options for cereal. And he would continually ask me, which one would I eat if, if I was going to have cereal, which one would I choose? And if I didn't choose one, he would get frustrated and say, well, just choose one, choose one for me. And I'd say, I'd finally choose one, and then he'd ask me why I chose that one. And then I'd share with him why I chose it, and then he, of course, would choose it. Or if his younger brother and him both got something, he would come over to me secretly and say, you like mine better, mine was the better choice. So I knew at a young age he he needed approval at a very young age. He didn't feel confident with his choices, and he wanted to make sure he had approval. Wanted to make sure he had mom's backup. Correct. He just he just always wanted somebody to make sure. I almost think he was making sure someone wouldn't make fun of him. <clears throat> he was always he he never wanted to be in a position where he was made fun of, and and he feared that for some reason. Any idea why that was? Did um did he have any siblings that kind of could have added to that or? Not when he was young, but uh, when when 
he was about 10 and his younger brother was eight. Uh, me and his, their dad uh, broke up. Uh, and then I was involved with somebody else who saw the attachment between me and my son, Johnny. Because again, we were very, very close. He was very attached to me. And the gentleman that I was with uh, was saying it wasn't healthy. And he was not a good role model in regards to that. He he became a bully to my son. Uh, and then his sons, his because he had two children, uh, his younger son was bullying my son. And so I didn't know that that was happening with the young son. I did know that my boyfriend was not handling it properly. So I would constantly be in fights with my boyfriend because I didn't like the way he was treating my son. And so <clears throat> that, that, that created why I think he, he went into the, the path of addiction. What kind of things would they say to him? <clears throat> they would, um, the, the, uh, boyfriend would, Oh, we, he, he was verbally abusive, so I really don't want to say the words that he used to say to him. Uh, but he would force him to play football when, when my son didn't really want to play football. And, and because his son was so good at football, he would make fun of him that he wasn't good at football. Or he'd say, you're a mama's boy. Uh, you know, he, he, was, he was verbally abusive. He was verbally abusive to me as well. He, he really wasn't a, a good role model for, for an adult, for anybody. And he wasn't a good role model for his own children. And, uh, you know, call him fat, uh, you know, just just really, the, the boyfriend was just jealous of, of, of my son. And my son was so attached to me that I was constantly fighting the boyfriend to protect my son. I should have, I should have left because we lived together. <clears throat> I should have left. And, and unfortunately, I didn't make that the right choice. I protected my son. But I, I didn't keep him safe in his home from from this kind of verbal abuse. Even though I stood up for him, uh, it still didn't give him safety in that home. So it created problems for my son's self-esteem and his confidence. Uh, and he just, uh, he just, I believe that was the, the igniter for him. That was definitely the igniter. So <clears throat> ultimately, I, I moved out. I packed one night. Uh, while my boyfriend was at a football game, I got a U-Haul. I packed my kids up, packed everything up, and, and we moved when, when he was 16. So he was in that environment from the time he was 10 to the time he was 16. And when he was around 10, what was school like for him? Was he was school a kind of relief to get there, or no, was it he was still no, fine? because the, the guy I was with when I, when I left my husband, uh, he, he moved around a lot. So my unfortunately, my kids probably went to four schools in a matter of six years because the guy was constantly moving around and I'm, I'm moving around with him at that point. And it was around 2008 when the economy crashed. So ultimately I, I felt stuck. I, I was afraid they were going to take my kids from me, but I financially couldn't go anywhere else on my own. So I kind of followed along like, like an idiot. And so when they went to school, unfortunately his, his younger son and, and my son Johnny were the same age. So his son, Johnny, would, would make my son the fall guy. I mean, my son, Johnny, would always be the fall guy for his son. And so it, it became a problem in school for him as well. So he, he really had a rough six years. He had a rough six years. It, it, was not, it was not good for him. So when I packed us up and I moved us out, 
is is when he he started to get better he he did start to get better and, and i you know i thought maybe that we could you know kind of put that past behind us i didn't realize he was using you know using drugs at that point but apparently now i do know he was and getting in with the wrong crowd and back then so moving was probably the best thing i could do to, to save him from possibly going down this rabbit hole a lot sooner than he did when he was young who was the first person if you even know to introduce him to drugs uh, it was, uh, believe it or not, it was my boyfriend's older son. He was five years older than them. So he was the one that introduced him to pot. Yeah, so do you know what age that was or did I miss you saying that? No, my uh, son was uh, 12. 12? And his, uh, yeah, my son Johnny was 12 and, and my boyfriend's oldest son mm. was 17. That's really young to start a kid on. That's very young. Absolutely, absolutely. And, and his oldest son thank goodness is doing very well now but he you know he he always says that to me as well because i still talk to him he always says to me as well you know i feel like it's my fault i made really bad choices with both johnny and his his brother because he introduced both of them at a very young age well that's great that he recognizes when he's older i I give him respect for coming through and saying that because a lot of kids or people when they get older they they still just they don't own up to their mistakes no Mm -mm. so it's hard to forgive him but I understand that, Alicia. Yeah, it's definitely hard to, you know, I can't, I, you know, I, I'm, it bothers me still today, but, you know, one thing I've, I've learned is I have to own what, what my involvement is in it. And I tell my son, Johnny, all the time, I definitely will own what my involvement is, but, but you have to own what choices you make from that point further. I can't own it all. That's exactly right. And it's good of you to own some of it because, it helps along, I mean, being an addict myself, that would have helped along in my recovery much quicker. Yeah. If my parents would have kind of taken it upon themselves to admit the mistakes they made with me because they were divorced. I remember, you know, I was the go-between with them. Well, you tell your father this and you tell your mother that. So it was horrible. Just imagine being like yeah. a walkie-talkie between two angry people. And then when my uh, son Johnny <clears throat> really wanted to go live with his dad, his dad was involved with somebody um, and he wouldn't take him. So, so I didn't even know that my, my son was calling his father up to say, can I live with you? And his father was telling him no. So not only was he not happy where he was, but his dad wasn't even taking him. So it was, it was, it, it was horrible for him. Very, very horrible for him. And what's funny is from the time they were born till he was 10, me and their dad never fought, never nothing. We had a very sound, stable family. And so I I, I do take responsibility for, for what happened to him and what road he went down. It, it definitely was my fault. That life-changing event impacted him severely. And if I had to do it all over again, I would have never done it. So real quick, <laughs> tell me about his dad. Um, his dad really uh, didn't spend much time with them. You know, everything was an inconvenience or, you know, oh, I'll pick you up and I'll spend 30 minutes with you or I'll pick you up and we're going to so-and-so's house and they, you could play with your cousins. Um, <clears throat> even while Johnny was uh, coming out of recovery because he's been to rehab a few times. Um, and I was in the midst of, of didn't have my home for myself yet. And that was a promise I, I made Johnny when he went to rehab the last time that I would move out and be on my own, have a house for him. So he feels stable. He doesn't feel like he's all over the place. 
So in between that, I was still trying to get the mortgage together. Um, he called his dad and said, you know, I'm getting out of recovery and, you know, I have nowhere to go. Can I stay with you? And again, his, his dad told him no. So it, it, their relationship is not a good one. Today it is, but it, it wasn't. And the only reason why it is today is his father got very ill and has a LVAD, which is a, a heart on the outside of him himself. And, and so my son has been a caretaker for him and he begrudges him to do it, but he still does it. What do you mean by he begrudges it? Uh, you know, he's Johnny is, even though he's had this conversation with his dad many times about how he left him and how he didn't, wasn't there for him. Um, it bothers him that his dad reaches out to him for help and he's there for him. It, in a way he's, he's glad he, to do it but in another way he's kind of like you know I, I there's a part of me that wants to say you know it's karma you know I, I want to do to you what you did to me but he doesn't he doesn't do that but he he really feels that way and you know I I can't tell him not to feel that way you know I always tell him you know you you only have one mom one dad and at the end of the day if, if God forbid he passes the only one who lives with that guilt will be you so I want you to do it for your freedom not for your father's sake yeah, that's a big thing um, that I believe in, too, in Alcoholics Anonymous, they talk about it a lot, is resentment. And for us addicts, resentment's building up. That's kind of what lead us to relapsing. Not sure if you can understand. We call you normies, the normal people. Not sure if you can understand that. But it's just no good to be angry about something. I read a great thing by the Buddha, which says... Anger is like drinking poison and expecting the other person to die. Exactly. And the only one that's killing is you. Um, his, his dad, uh, his past, he, he tried to emulate his father because he felt like his father wasn't giving him the attention. So his dad's past, well before I met his father, well before I had children, he spent time in prison. He was a heroin addict. Uh, and my uh, son knew about it. And and. And I feel like my son tried to become him in order to get his attention. And and so I feel like some of the paths he's taken, even though he resents his dad in a one way, he, he's looking for acceptance from his father as well. That's so important to him. So he tried to emulate him, even if it was negative things. I, I feel like that was a something that drove him as well. Yeah, like you said, a call for attention. Yeah, just, you know, see, we're similar, we're alike, you know, we're, we're black sheep. You know, it was kind of like a bond, he thought, that would pull them together. Was he ever abusive to Johnny? Never, nope. So he was a good, mm -hmm. he, besides the other stuff, he was pretty solid as far as not hitting him and... Yeah, no, never, never, never put his hands on uh, on our kids. Nobody's ever put their hands on their kids. It's funny. I, I was the disciplinary, but I, you know, when they got older, I, you know, I was definitely, but it was always I squeezed their trapeze muscle when they were younger to get them in, in, under control. But their dad never put put. I think one time he may have hit my um, oldest son maybe once. Yeah, I was going to ask what kind of dis disciplinar uh, disciplinarian were you? Uh, I was. I was. Before, when they were young, before I, him and their, my, uh, their dad and I broke up, I was uh, very strict. I mean, all I have to do is give them a look, and they knew to stop. 
the only, the only thing I would do is if they got out of line was squeeze that little muscle on their shoulder so that they knew I was there. But for the most part, all I had to do is give them a little and they would, they would get in line. They were, you know, very well behaved. Um, they had a great community of friends right in our cul-de-sac. Great kids. They were, they were absolutely great kids. That's great. That's an, that's yeah. an absolutely positive thing. Yeah. So you said his addiction really kicked in around 20. Yeah. Was there anything around that time that you think fueled it? Like, you know, was there like a, an incident that it was like, screw it, and he just dove yeah. head first in? Yeah. Uh, his, his girlfriend, the mother of his son, uh, decided to break it off. And he was kind of happy about it because he was, you know, with her since he was young, had this child and felt like he didn't really get to enjoy life. So initially when the breakup was going to happen, he was kind of relieved in a way. Uh, but then when it happened and she immediately had another boyfriend, uh, it devastated him. And that, I think, was his trigger. That was his over-the-top point for him. That's where he took his, his partying to the next level. Uh, and then I, you know, I... He moved in with somebody in, in Sanford. Uh, you know, I went there one day. It was it was an awful looking place. Um, he that's when he went off the deep end. He quit his job. He had a great job, and he just went off the rails. And what do you mean by went off the rails? Well, it's kind of some of the stuff he was doing. He was just uh, like uh, um, I got him a car. Uh, because all he had was a motorcycle and I didn't really feel comfortable with him riding a motorcycle all the time. Uh, you know, I'd have conversations with him, you know, about his partying and, you know, I, I don't want you to ride your motorcycle all the time. I'd rather you have a car for when it rains. And then all of a sudden the police are at their dad's door saying, Hey, we found this car in, in a ditch in. And so I'm like, I'm immediately driving to Sanford to thinking my, my son's in a ditch somewhere. And here he comes all, you could tell he's all high and disoriented and I'm like, what, what, what's going on? Oh, the tires were bald and, and it slid out. And, you know, he just, he went through cars like, like you would go through whatever. I, I think I bought him a total of four cars and he totaled all of them. Um, so that's when I started noticing, um, you know, there was problems and I'll never forget it. One day I was at work and he sent me a message um, through Facebook and it was the saddest message. And I was hoping I, I still had it, but I, I, he deleted his Facebook at one point. So all the messages left, I, I was at work and it was a very sad message saying, I, I, I know that I'm supposed to be an adult. I know I'm supposed to be able to live on my own, but I can't, I just can't, please don't be mad at me. I can't be on my own. I need to be with you. I need to live with somebody. I can't do it. Uh, and that just broke my heart. And so I immediately left work and I went went and got him. And, you know, I said, that was the first time I, I said, I, you need to go into rehab. You need to get in recovery or abusing whatever you're abusing. And at that time, it was Coke. He was abusing Coke. So I sent him off to rehab. And uh, real quick. So um, when you said he went off the deep end around the time he broke up with his girlfriend, what exactly was he using? You just mentioned cocaine, but were there any other? Oh, he was using coke, mollies. Um, he was doing ecstasy. He was smoking weed, um, pills. He was doing Xanax. He wasn't doing um, heroin at this point. He wasn't doing fentanyl. He was just doing those drugs at that point. 
still dangerous. Yeah, oh, absolutely. Anything is dangerous. Anything, because you don't even know what anything is laced with anymore. So, he he was definitely taking himself to the next level, and it was it was going fast. He was moving in that direction at a fast pace, because now he didn't have anybody to answer to. Yeah, and now that I'm sober, I look back because I used to do cocaine also, and it's crazy to think about it that you go, you buy something from pretty much a stranger nine times out of 10, and you're just hoping to trust this random person who's a drug dealer who obviously doesn't care about people to not lace it with some crazy shit. Exactly, exactly. It's, <clears throat> it's, it's funny, and, and you know what's even funnier is when, when he was diagnosed with bipolar and we got him on medication, he, he kept complaining to me he didn't want to take medication for the rest of his life. I said, it's funny. You'll use heroin, you'll use fentanyl, but you don't want to take a prescription that's in your name. It it th- throws me off completely. Well, like I said, a lot of us addicts don't yeah. make sense. And I've heard that before. So many people, oh, they're just switching one addiction to another. So what? If it's something where a doctor prescribes it to you, it doesn't have a negative effect on your body, it's not destroying you, Take it. Take, it, take the damn medicine. It's not going to uh, jeopardize your life and other people on the road with you, and it's not going to put you in jail. So let's let's take a medication that is prescribed specifically for your situation. Because I'm bipolar. I've got ADHD. I've got OCD. I've admitted all these things before. Um, and I can't imagine a life without my medication. I take no narcotics. I used to take Klonopin, but I'm off that now. Um, and it just really helps me with my depression with my focus, um, it wakes me up, it puts me to sleep. And I know it's not a great thing to depend on this stuff, but I have no problem, like you said, switching my addiction from the, I never did heroin, but the cocaine and the drinking, especially for me, and to take these instead, I'll do that all day, all night for the rest of my life, no problem. Yeah, yeah. So when did you notice... um, because now you bring up some of the mental health issues. Was there a specific, because I know you mentioned as a kid you saw he was attached to you, but was there any point in time where you saw him maybe have a switch in mentality and attitude so fast that you thought maybe he was bipolar, or were there any times you picked up on maybe him being depressed? Uh, I did pick up on him being depressed. Um, How old was he? When was the first time? Uh, probably around 11 or 12, I started noticing he was becoming a little bit more reclusive and sad and, and I, and I attributed it to the bullying. And so I would always defend him and, you know, I would make a point to do something with just him. Uh, and I would, you know, try and keep him more under my wing to make sure nobody was bullying him, which actually made it worse for him. He almost became more of a target because I was trying to protect him at, at any given point, you know, making sure nobody messed with him, which ended up being a negative for him because then the other kids would see that and then it would become more of a target when I wasn't there. So it, it really was a what, very what bad Would they call situation. him like a mama's boy? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. He was, he was such a good, loving kid, honestly. I mean, I, I was, him and I were two peas in a pod. I, I, wherever I was, he was, he was my first son. He was my biggest blessing. And, and I, I wouldn't let anybody touch him. I, you know, I, even when I would carry him, anybody asked me to hold him No, no, you know, so I, I, I smothered him with my attention and affection and, and that 
you know, transpired through. That might have uh, hopefully got him through all those tough times you mentioned. Yeah, he he knows. He he just calls me, and I and you know I may not have the answer, but I'll sit through it while we're figuring it out. So, what did you do when you noticed this kind of uh, stuff going on in his life? Did you take him to a doctor? Did you kind of put it by the wayside for a moment? Well, no. When I when I decided, uh, I never realized how bad it was. When I decided, had that conversation with him about rehab, and he immediately said yes. That's when the fear came into me. Like, gosh, this really is a problem for him to say yes this quickly. This means this this problem is bigger than what I thought. So when he said yes, I, you know, I, I I called in advance to find a place. So when I had this conversation with him, I already had the bed ready. And the next day I drove him uh, to recovery and he accepted that. And he was there for 90 days and I was elated. I'm like, oh my gosh, he's going into sober living. He's going to be success story from day one. This is going to be great. What the age was he was, when he first, uh, first went in? What age was he? He was uh, 20. Okay. And so uh, when he came out, he learned how to use heroin. Uh, did, did he learn that in rehab? He picked up heroin in the recovery house. No shit. Yeah. So now, instead of him coming out clean, he came out with an addiction to heroin, fentanyl, coke. Were they doing it? Pills. Were they actually doing it in rehab? Yeah. Well, I, see, I went to rehab, and I'm assuming they're all different, obviously, and obviously I should know that. But I can't imagine a point in the day where you have time to go sneak off. Well, I mean, technically you could. Well, you do because, you know, after his uh, 30 days, they put him in the halfway house. So you're in sober living and then you're required to go out and get a job. Gotcha. And so while he was out getting a job, one of the people that he was in the house with said, you know, what's your drug of choice? What was yours? And then he turned him on to heroin. And of course, you know, unbeknownst to me, I, I, I've become very educated now, uh, Unfortunately, but fortunately, and, you know, all of the drug dealers, where do you think they're going? To the place where they think they can get the best people to buy to rehab. So they're on every corner selling the stuff. And so my son came out with a new addiction. Instead of coming out clean, he came out with a new addiction. But I didn't know that immediately. I had no idea that that was the case. How long did it take you to realize that? Well, when he came out, we I bought my house and I moved him into my house with me. Uh, and he immediately was telling me about, you know, uh, all of his dreams. And, you know, I realized that those are the pink clouds and all of his goals. He OD'd, he OD'd in my house with, uh, a girlfriend that he, he knew that he said he knew for a while. And, and she came running in my room saying, I don't understand. Frankie's not waking up unbeknownst to me. They were both using heroin in, in his bedroom. And apparently he put together a cocktail and, uh, uh, we had to call the ambulance. She did CPR. The ambulance came. They gave him Narcan like four times. And uh, finally he came to. And, uh, you know, he was in the hospital. And they Baker acted him. What's so that? And they Vapor acted? They, they Baker acted him. They, they said that they were <clears throat> keeping him under, uh, under care for 72 hours. Okay. Because that was because I talked to the doctor and they said the only way we can keep him for 72 hours because he's saying he wants to leave is if we Baker Act him. I said, well, then Baker Act him. And so they did. They Baker Acted him. What's that, that term? term? Where does that term come from? 
uh, it's a term in Florida when you're over the age of uh, 18. The only way you can keep somebody in in a facility for longer than what they want is if you Baker Act them, and that gives you 72 hours to be, um, you know, t- you know, watched over. Kind of so like legally, that's watch. the only way I could keep him in that facility is if I requested they Baker Acted him. Gotcha. So that's what I did. Um, and then I got that girl's stuff all out of my house. Um, I put it all on the side of the road and I told her, you know, you have 24 hours to come and get your things before I throw them out because she was using as well. And I didn't know that. Uh, and then he went back into rehab. He went back into rehab after that. Um, was that he, stint. what happened with that girl? Was he upset when he had to break up with her or did he know it's the right thing to do? Yeah, no, he knew it was the right thing to do. He did. He knew it was the right thing so to do. So it sounds like, I mean, from... He, uh, from our sorry to interrupt. From our story so far, you got a smart kid. You know oh, he's yeah, been asking he, for help he, for a long time. I mean, some of us. It took me twenty years to ask for help. No, he. That's why I say I think if him and I weren't as close as we are, it could have taken him twenty years. It could have taken him fifteen years or what have you. But because him and I are so close, and I, he lives with me. Um, you know, he comes to me all the time whenever he's got wacky thoughts or he's feeling a certain way. He knows he can, you know, my door's always open. Come in, sit down. Even if I don't have an answer, I want to hear what you're feeling. Tell me what you're thinking, you know, and and it's a double-edged sword because then it becomes a codependency. So I have to watch how much I, you know, how much of an input I give because he, he also wants to make sure that he, he's making the decision. He's not making a decision based on what I'm saying. So I really have to watch how much I do or say and allow him to do and say for himself. So it's, it's a difficult road, but, uh, you know, he's, like I said, he's, I wouldn't be able to breathe without him with me. So, you know, I tell him that all the time, not to put pressure on him, but just to let him know how much, how important he is and the value he adds to me and to his brother and to his family and to his son. How old is your, so you're a grandma, how old is your grandson? He turned seven yesterday. Oh, that's awesome. You got a bunch of birthdays in December. Yes, yeah, he turned seven yesterday. That's amazing. And your son just had a birthday, so happy belated birthday to him. No, my son's birthday is in August. His oh. son's birthday is in, in December. Okay, so that's the one that I share the birthday with. Yes, yeah, his son. Mm-hmm. So... During this entire time when he was bouncing in and out of rehabs, was in between, um, and he was in the sober houses, was he actually able to get a job and maintain some type of normal life for any period of time? Uh, no, not really. He, he came out of the uh, sober facility. Uh, then he went back into rehab. He came back out. Uh, he worked in the restaurant business, which is a huge red flag. Uh, the restaurant business is filled with that lifestyle. Yeah. So that caused a relapse again because of what he surrounded himself with. Uh, then I, I ended up getting him a job with me, um, you know, because I, I figured, well, if he's with me, I'm driving him, I'm, you know, I'm taking him home. I'm, you know, I, I could see him. I know what's going on. And that only lasted about eight weeks, nine weeks. Um, and then he couldn't do the job anymore because he was, again, active in addiction. Uh, so he's bounced around jobs and, and literally couldn't keep them. Uh, and then this last time he was in school, but he ultimately relapsed and, and couldn't maintain school. So he ended up leaving there as well. So, What was he going to school for? 
he was going to MMI, a motorcycle school. Okay. So yeah. he's, he's into motorcycles, it sounds like. Yes, he is. He's very much into motorcycles. That's his passion. So he's been in and out of rehab, not really been able to work. What was the... So where is he right now in life? Like, what was the... what? Moving forward, what was, like, um, what really... The turning point? <clears throat> yeah, exactly. So the turning point was that he was, uh, you know, he's he's has some legal problems, so he's on probation. Uh, he He's in a recovery facility uh, that recently um, the owner of the recovery facility that he was a part of was arrested uh, for selling and distributing fentanyl. That happened, like, two months ago. Uh, and so ultimately that was the time frame that he relapsed and he wouldn't admit to me that he relapsed, but I could tell because he was sleeping all the time. He was incoherent. He was literally burning my sofa out on my patio because he was falling asleep with cigarettes in his hand. So I got tired of asking him, are you sure you're not using? Are you sure you're not using? So while he fell asleep one day, I dug through his whole entire room and I found uh, I found it in his bottom drawer. So I confronted him. I woke him up. And I was said, always curious how much fentanyl, because um, so at the time I'm assuming you didn't know it was fentanyl, but it, one thing that I saw online was a picture, and this was really profound. It was a picture of a penny, just a regular old penny, and next yeah. to it was a couple specks of fentanyl, like not even enough to fill up half the penny. And it said that's how much it takes for an overdose. Well, he had a little plastic bag, I guess the size of your thumb and your pointer distance between. And it was halfway filled. That so, bag. So it was a decent amount. Oh, yeah. So I told him I flushed it down the toilet. And he needs to go to recovery. He needs to get out. I'm no longer going to pay the addict's ransom. I'm no longer going to support watching the addict kill my son while my son is buried inside there. I won't do it any longer. And he, of course, got very upset, uh, was going to jump on his motorcycle. And I feared, you know, I don't want somebody else to get hurt because of his irrational behavior. So I told him I, I didn't flush it. I still have it. He said the only way I'll go is if you let me use it. And I didn't know what else to do. I mean, probably shouldn't have done it, but I did. I let him use it. And then I put the Narcan in my purse and I drove him to the re recovery center, the detox center. Yeah. That's a big thing. I was, um, I noticed that a lot of people like to have try to one last hurrah before they enter rehab. Yeah. So this time when he went to rehab, was he, so why did that make it such a turning point? Why? Well, I don't think that was the actual turning point. I think he was still planning on, lying to me um you know he went there and, and two days in he he never gave them his phone so he started calling me saying all right i'm off the street drugs come get me and i i told him no i wasn't coming to get him uh and then he started blaming me saying it was my fault that he was in the predicament he was in uh and then he he said that it, i you know and then i just told him i i didn't i didn't put a gun to your head to tell you to use heroin i didn't put a gun to your head until you use the other drugs you chose that life if that's the life you want, you got to take the whole life. You don't get to just uh, 
get warm showers and a warm bed and food in your refrigerator and then lay in a coma in my in my patio the addict's life is living on the street sleeping under a bridge that's the whole life if that's what you want then you you let go of all of us so he was pretty adamant he was going to leave and then i called the recovery place and i said he has his phone you need to get his phone so they were kind enough not to let them let him know that i told on him and they got his phone and they said he's being very angry and uh he's wanting to leave i said well let him know he is he's not coming here and he ended up staying there for seven days and they reduced his medication on his suboxone down to a minimal and they sent him home and I don't, he said to me, it was like an eye opener for him while he was in there for those seven days, he was helping other people. And he said it was literally life changing. I mean, he broke down in tears, which he never does. He broke down in tears in my room of all the guilt he felt of all the guilt that he put on this family or or the lack of being a father to his son and not being a good role model for his brother. And, uh, he decided for the first time to do the 12 step program and actually get a sponsor and actually do the work that it that he needs to do in order to get healthy. He said he doesn't want this life anymore. He wants he wants to live a healthy life. So he ended up going back in three days later to come off of Suboxone and now we're struggling with that because he's he's not sleeping. Uh, he's really struggling with insomnia. Uh, but he did start a new job in, in the field that he loves, which is plumbing. And so we're just kind of taking it one day at a time and you know, just praying all the time and, and just, you know, really loving him as much as I can love him so he knows how important he is. So, yeah, I remember you mentioning something which this, <clears throat> this comes down to just being my opinion, but you said when he left rehab, he went to reach out to get help from an NA or an AA group, and they told him they wouldn't help him, I think, unless he was off the Suboxone. Is that true? I forget. Am I remembering that correctly? They told him that he could go to all of their meetings, but he'd always have to still take just the the first uh, chip, like it's his first time going, because being on Suboxone is still mind-altering, and that he couldn't get a sponsor because he was on Suboxone, which kind of made me feel like, you know, it's, it's funny, uh, being with my son now and seeing how addicts are treated, which I am solely against, I think to myself that there's one place that you should feel without judgment is when you're willingly going into recovery and saying, I don't want this life anymore. And then to have recovering addicts tell you that they're judging you on how you get sober. Me personally, I'm, I'm so offended by this, but I don't say that to my son because he really wants to have this sponsor. So I don't want to, you know, deter him but i i will say i'm angry about that i'm very angry that they would judge what works for him they you know well that's one of the reasons what gives them the right to judge somebody's way of recovery especially recovering addicts i feel that that is so offensive yeah i mean to me and once again this is just my opinion that's one of the reasons i started my group that's the reason addicts anonymous exist is because stuff like that happens in the other meetings. And the one thing I don't like is the one thing they say in all the meetings is the newcomer is the most important person in the room. Obviously, you didn't treat him that way. He was a newcomer and he wasn't welcome. I mean, technically, he was welcome to a meeting, but 
nobody's going to personally help him because he's on a, a drug that, once again, is to keep him off fentanyl and heroin and dying. Exactly. Exactly. And then to tell them that they can't go and get the next chip to show their success. I mean, what a slap in the face that is. What well, a slap in the face that is. They're, they can't even be rewarded for their efforts because they're acting like they're, they're, they're not really making the effort the medication is. That's not true. That's not true because they can choose not to take that medication and they could choose to use instead. So getting up every day to take a pill so you don't use is just as important to me as not having to take anything and choosing not to use. Well, that's why one shouldn't be judged better than the other. You're absolutely right. That's why when I give out, we're working on eventually having more chips. But as of right now, Addicts Anonymous has one chip that we give out for free. Anyone wants one, they can direct message me. And I call it a forever chip. Because you're forever in Addicts Anonymous if you want to. You can always get a sponsor. You can always get, and I'm not trying to turn this into a commercial, but it's just I'm pointing out because you are literally um, bringing up the subject of literally why I started this group because I didn't feel welcome. I felt like it was a rigid meeting. The guys um, didn't like that I was doing some assisted treatment. Like I I used the Kratom and stuff like that. Um, But if I'm not drinking myself to death, I'm all for it. Exactly. Exactly. If I'm not, if I'm holding down a job and I'm able to live a functioning life and this helps me to continue to be appreciative of of the life I have rather than the life I used to have. It's like telling somebody who's a diabetic that they shouldn't take insulin or somebody who's got high blood pressure, they shouldn't take blood pressure medication. It's just a, it's a medication that's coming from a bottle. I, I mean, for them to judge somebody on how they choose to get into recovery is extremely offensive. And I, I feel like it's uh, discriminatory. That was a beautiful way of um, explaining it, that it's like a diabetic not taking his medication. Yeah. It just wouldn't make sense. Exactly. So I don't say anything to him, but I I feel like, you know, it's just one more group that's saying you're not good enough. What you're doing isn't good enough. And I, and to me, any addict that makes the steps to be in recovery, whatever they method they use uh, as far as legally, how, how dare you say that that's not good enough? Yeah. I mean, you don't have to sit there worrying in your house if your son's upstairs dead. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, I, I will tell you him being on Suboxone was really a comfort for me. But of course, I, I, I always know, just like an addict always knows, don't ever get too comfortable. You always have to have you always have to be on alert. I always have to, you know, unfortunately, keep my eye on my spoons, make sure I don't see little pieces of gauze anywhere, make sure he's not in the bathroom too long, make sure the water's not running for too long. I mean, I'm still at that point where I'm still watching everything. Uh, but I, you know, I did, I felt it's unfortunate, but I did, I felt like I could take my foot off the gas when he was on Suboxone. But again, he stopped taking it, even though I was counting his pills going, Hey, you're, you missed yesterday. Take it today. Oh yeah, I'll take it. And he knew I was counting those pills. So he would, he would take a pill, but he wasn't actually taking it. So moving forward a little bit what's life like with you now how is he doing um also how is your relationship with him so i mean he's happy that i um you know when i told him i was i started in your group 
Um, he was happy. I think he was a little nervous too, because, you know, he's so used to me bailing him out and helping him out. And I, you know, I set boundaries of things I will and will not do anymore. Uh, and I'm not going to live in fear every day and and track him. He's got to be accountable for himself. Uh, so he was happy about that. He was happy that I was doing something for myself because it made him feel like I was more involved in what he's going through, which I'm I'm 110% involved in what he's going through. Uh, but I worry about him every day. You know, I still worry about him not sleeping. I worry, you know, is something going to trigger something? Um, but I, I think I'll, I'll always be that way with him because I just want the best for my son. Yeah, absolutely. So it sounds like also, so it seems like your relationship has gotten more, I don't know if the word strict, but it's you kind of have to start helping me out now. It's at the point where you're kind of tired and you you're kind of asking him help help me out, right? Yeah, that's what I, I. Those were the exact words I said. It's time for you to start, you know, pulling your load, and and you you start being accountable in this house. I can't carry you any longer. And that's so good because you know that's one of the things that I'm going to try and start writing some articles and teach people in Adenon is from what I've learned and from the research I've done, you got to realize you have to live your own life also. You can't yeah. live, you can't live for him because it's going to drive you insane. Exactly, exactly. I mean, when he when he had the last relapse, I literally stopped doing everything uh, from February till August. I, I did nothing except be a, available to him. I work out of the house. He was home. I was, you know, tracking him going to school, tracking him coming back. Weekends, I stayed on top of him. I was with him. And it, it really wasn't healthy for him or me Well, because it, it didn't prevent the outcome. So I, that that made me realize, too, it doesn't matter how much I stand on top of you. It's not going to prevent the outcome. If you're, if you're going to do it, you're going to do it. I just watch now for the signs. I try to catch it before it happens. You know, if I see, like, he's starting to get into a sad way of, of feeling, I immediately address it or I ask him to talk about it or, you know, I, you know what's going on. Uh, but, you know, there's, it's just, uh, it's a roller coaster. I mean, it's not just his addiction. It's my, uh, it's become my addiction. So how long has he been day, sober this time? Uh, he's, you know, usually he, the, the holidays are sad for him, but this time it's not, I, he doesn't seem like he's in that funk and I don't know if it's because he just came out of the funk, uh, but he's, uh, he's doing pretty good. And how long has he been sober this time? Uh, well, he's, uh, they're saying, well, me personally, I'm saying November 24th, but um, his uh, group is saying uh, December 1st because that's when he got off uh, Suboxone. Yeah, if I had to choose and he was asking my advice, I'd say November 24th is the date because that's when my definition is when you decide you're done with your drug of choice, you know, and you're willing to try other things. Because I used to joke around saying, if someone told me in rehab, you stick broccoli up your ass and that's how you cure your addiction, I would have done it. So any, oh, anything available, I believe, utilize those tools. That's it. I, I feel the same way. I mean, it's like if you had cancer and they said, you know, we have this uh, cl clinical tr uh, trial. Do you want to try it? Of course I would try it. Why would I would be stupid not to? Exactly. So. 
So it sounds like he's doing good. He's on the right track. Um, do you have anything that you want to say? Because I guess this is a good place to end as far as to the listeners about advice to the other mothers that are you know going to be listening out there. Uh, the thing I would say is don't leave your children alone. Like if you see them starting to isolate, if you see them starting to pull back, uh, you know, pull them back in, you know, reach out to them, ask them what's going on, what's wrong. You know, they, they say, don't be nosy. If they're living with you and they're in recovery or they're in active addiction, you have every right to be nosy. Dig through their stuff. If you feel like they're doing something, they are. Believe me, we we know the behaviors. We know the changes in their personalities. Don't wait for them to tell you. If you have to dig through their room and put it in their face to show them that you know, then do it. Because at the end of the day, it's their lives. It's your life. And whatever we have to do to save our children is what we have to do. That's what why we're here. Yeah, absolutely. So I really, really appreciate you taking the time to speak with us today. You are the first meeting, or I'm sorry, interview, where we've got your perspective as far as a mom. Um, but yeah, I want to thank you, Carrie, and telling us the story about Johnny, and that was just great. So folks, if you like what you've heard, give us a rating on iTunes. Come check out our Facebook group. Also, we just redid our uh, website. It's going to be up and running this week. It's called or it's titled addicts-anonymous.com. So don't forget that hyphen in the middle, and I'll take you to our website where we have resources, some articles. We also have people's personal stories there, so you can read through some stories like this one. Um, we also do Zoom meetings. So when you're on our Facebook group page, just go to the Events tab, and you'll see we have Zoom meetings daily. Um, some days we do them more than once a day. And when you are going back to the website, I forgot to mention we have a blog. So please check that out. There's always going to be updated content there as well. So I want to thank everyone for listening and until next time.